0: Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Your Project Shepherd Construction Podcast. And We've been talking in the season about what does it cost? And as we've gotten further into the season, I've realized that's a really tough question to answer. And we probably should have called this uh, why does it cost or why does it cost that? Not what does it cost? Um, if you've listened or watched the last few episodes, uh, you'll notice that we've really been focusing on talking about um, how you as the homeowner, the client, you need to set that realistic budget for yourself to begin with, and then work with your team to create that project that's going to fit into that framework. So, And I am pretty certain that my guest today is going to reinforce that uh, because I know him and how he works. So joining me today is Dan Bodden. Uh, Dan is the owner of Legal Eagle Contractors. Um, He's been very involved with uh, the Houston building scene for years. Uh, He's been on uh, the board and very involved with the the Local Builders Association, all the way up to the National Builders Association, really involved with builder education. And he's been a mentor for many people in this industry. Um, And on top of that, he's also an attorney. And so that brings a whole other dimension to his business and to the advice that he gives and kind of what he what he does. So, Dan, thanks for joining me today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, Curtis. Thank
0: you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So. Just start off, tell us a little bit about Legal Eagle and what you guys do, the services that you offer, how you work, all that kind of stuff.
1: Sure. Um, I've owned Legal Eagle Contractors for decades, although it had a different name early on. But uh, we're a full-service remodeling company. We can do custom and did at the beginning, but in more recent years, we've been focused on your typical remodeling projects, you know, kitchens, bathrooms, room additions, uh, second stories. So we are not afraid to take on some of the more complex remodeling projects that involve engineering and structural work. Um, and we try to focus our work in a about a three-mile radius of where we're sitting right now, which is in the Bel Air area. Um, and that has allowed us to uh, keep close tabs on the production on the jobs. You know, a project manager can go by every single day um, to execute th- the different types of projects that we do. So we do big and small, maybe not handyman, but pretty much everything above that.
0: You guys are design build also?
1: We are design build, so we were very early adopters of Chief Architect and the 3D technology and have just enjoyed that and my clients have enjoyed that for years and years and years. Such a fabulous way to visualize what your your home is going to look like in the future as well as to see the plan view that shows the floor plan changes that you're making. So uh, that's not only been a game changer for my homeowners, but it has been for us too. And by us, I mean me as the general contractor and my team, but also the trades. So if I have a really detailed yeah, 3D image of uh, a, a, sh- a large shower, for example, I know what I got to build. The guys know what infrastructure has to go in the walls to make the number of shower heads and so on happen, um, but the trades, like the Ta guys who are going to, install the tile, they know how many shampoo boxes and where the stripe is and what the color variations are. So it's just the more information we've learned to put in there, the less mistakes there are during construction and the owner's vision is accomplished, which is really the number one thing. Yeah. They want it to turn out like they thought it was going to turn out.
0: Exactly, like um having a predictable process, a predictable product, you know, um I think that's and we've talked about this a lot in the last season in previous episodes, how um, a lack of a defined scope of work leads to a lot of problems. And sometimes you can have a, a great written scope of work, but, you know, people who don't do this every day, like you and I have a hard time envisioning what that, pro- that sure. product is going to look like yeah. and having that 3D uh, on top of the, the 2D floor plan is, is a fantastic tool.
1: It certainly has been for us. I think it's protected us from conflicts with clients and conflicts with the, tr- with the trades and the subs because everyone can look at the page they're literally on the same page doing this and and everybody knows what the vision is so it's been it's been not only good for business but it's been a lot of fun helps in the sales process too yeah
0: so your name legal eagle uh, it's kind of a play on the fact that you're an attorney and you do some legal stuff too um so talk to us a little bit about kind of what you do outside of remodeling and some of the uh, consulting and expert witness work and what other legal type stuff that you also do
1: sure thank you so yeah I've done uh, a legal practice since I was licensed in 1981 alongside my remodeling and in more recent years that's also morphed into me doing expert witness work as an expert in construction particularly residential construction so I help homeowners and builders and contractors resolve disputes I'm a licensed mediator, too, and can do arbitrations, but I prefer to do the expert witness work. And then the legal background, that really helps with all of that because although my area of practice, regular everyday practice, is estate planning, which is wills and trusts and probate work, I still know all the lingo and how litigation works. So in my expert witness business, I'm really able to help homeowners, for example, know what the quality standards are, but also all the terminology that their lawyer is throwing at me because I've been doing in that same business for so many years. So you would think that these are very separate disciplines and the lines don't cross, but you would be surprised. For example, uh, a lot of the work that I do is aging in place related. So I work for seniors a lot, you know that, um, and have taught the certifications around that field for many years.
0: The CAP certification. Yeah, the certified with the...
1: aging in place specialist, the CAP certifications, taught that around the country for many years and started that course. Created that course about 21 years ago. So when I'm visiting with my senior remodeling clients, let's say I'm there to do, you know, a kitchen remodel. They'll ask me about the company name, Legal Legal Contractors. And I'll say, well, I'm also, a, you know, an estate planning wills type attorney as well. And they'll go, really? <laughs> well, you know what? Our kids have grown. We did our wills 35 years ago. We really need to update that. Or we don't even have any of those documents done. We really, can we talk to you about that? And so I kind of switch hats from contractor yeah. to lawyer, and I have forms that I send them to fill out and information so we don't take too much of the remodeling visit about their kitchen to discuss that. But it often ends up with me doing their kitchen and their wills at the same time. <laughs> so it's kind of a strange combination. Uh, but it really is a helpful bundle for folks, and especially it, it seems to arise in with my seniors, but also with my young families that have kids, I maybe have Two or three kids, they have no will. They have real estate, they have no will.
0: Lots of young people haven't thought about that yet.
1: Yeah, well, nobody wants to think about it. I think I saw a statistic that about 75% of attorneys don't have wills. Wow. And they have free access to that. (laughs) So, you know, it's something everybody should do for sure. It's a great gift to your family to do that. So I provide those services, you know, when I'm asked to do so as just kind of a helpful bundle along with the remodeling and building.
0: That's awesome. So when uh, when people call you to talk about a kitchen remodeling project, um, you know, well, first of all, I'll back up. As I said in the intro, um, it's it's really hard to pin uh, a number on what does it cost to remodel a kitchen. Uh, I'm sure that you get that question a lot. Sure. Now, what does it cost to remodel a kitchen here in my 1950s ranch? And it, it's 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 a, a possible question to answer over the phone. And it's really an impossible question to answer until you've really dug into the project. So what do you have to say about about that?
1: I mean, we all get those questions at the beginning. People think estimates are something that we have up on a shelf and we just take one down when they ask for it. But really, everything we do is custom, right? And every home is different. Indeed, every couple that you're working with is different. So I, I explore their budget in that first call by storytelling. And I'll say there isn't one answer to that. There's actually three. So if let's say you're doing a a cosmetic, um, remodel and you're on a tight budget, you're going to replace your countertops, backsplash, update some lighting, maybe paint the counters, but the cabinets are going to stay and the countertops. Well, maybe the countertops will stay, um, depending on budget. So, you know, that, that kind of project might be in the 20 to 35 K range to do kitchen light, you know, where you're just doing partial kitchen and the kitchen, Remodel usually includes the breakfast room, which is adjacent in many homes, and the laundry room as well, because the flooring and other materials flow all throughout those three spaces. They're, they're pretty much one when you remodel them, right? Yep. Then the second kind of kitchen remodel is where you're gutting it, but you're not expanding the walls or the footprint at all. But everything's going to be new. So now you are go- gutting to the walls, you're doing... um Cabinetry, which is one of your most expensive, if not the most expensive component part. Um, countertops, really re- improving the lighting design. So lighting is so important in kitchens, and it's not done very well <laughs> by most contractors.
0: And in most of the old houses that we go into, it's awful.
1: Yeah, I mean, you see the, that fluorescent light or two in the, middle, in the maybe. middle, or maybe it's one of those little schoolhouse, <laughs> you know, glass so with two little bulbs in it that's been there since the 1950s. Yep. Uh, so there's so much we can do with under-cabinet lighting and counter-lighting done the right way. But anyway, so in this middle scenario, you had the minimum scenario where you're just doing a cosmetic fix. Now we're doing a gut kitchen, let's call it that. Those projects now, post-pandemic, I'll give people a range of 55 to 75 if they use mid-range finishes. It's not 40 anymore. It's not. It's just not. So um that's assuming mid range qualities on things like cabinets and countertops and appliances, appliances, yeah. Which is gonna make a big deal. And then the third kind of kitchen remodel is one where you're expanding the footprint, either by opening it up to the living spaces next door or maybe even adding on to bump out the kitchen. When we do kitchen additions, we are always re scrambling the floor plan of the kitchen significantly. Sometimes even the kitchen sink moves, which we as remodelers try to avoid doing yeah. if we can work the design so that the the sink stays where it is there's usually a window there and it's kind of a logical focal point for the room and its function but uh when you re when you add on or expand into other rooms now you're changing a lot of other things you're probably putting in a big island that meets that new space and sometimes a lot that same moves to the island yeah. yeah often moves usually moves the island yeah. to a new location or maybe there wasn't one and now you can You can put one so, you know, if you're adding on and scrambling the existing kitchens, those projects are going to be 100 to 150 with mid-range finishes. Right. A lot of my clients say, look, we are just salt of the earth, middle of the road kind of people, and we're not going to spend, you know, uh, $10,000 on a refrigerator. We're going to keep our appliances reasonable. We know what we like and then they get into the process and they start really taking a hard look at products and appliances and they're going to showrooms and looking at all the shiny cool stuff <laughs> and black stainless finishes and all the cool things that there are available out there and they start busting their budget they bust their own budget
2: yeah
1: um because they see things that they get excited about and people buy all of us do we buy on emotion, emotion. so you know the the client who would never have spent 250 dollars on a toilet paper holder or a towel bar going in <laughs> when when they're trying to be super conservative with their with their funds and, and remodeling budget they get into the process and they're like we're spending all this money why are we getting the cheap towel bar why don't we get the really good one that we really like right you know so before you know it they're they've escalated the the amount that they're spending on fixtures and finishes and different remodeling companies handle that differently Some companies will put in an allowance for the appliance package and an allowance for hardware, so the owners know going in what the ball of wax is they have to play with, and then they know if they're exceeding that as they go out and buy their stuff. Yeah. Um, Other contractors like me, we do furnished-by-owner items on pretty much everything that's decorative or that the owners would want to pick out pursuant to their own tastes. So this allows the client to have complete control. Over what they buy, they know going in. I don't have appliances in the bid, but I can put an allowance if they're borrowing, for example, to do the project. Sure, I'll put in allowances for those things because they need to be in the loan. Right, but otherwise, they're free to go spend what they want, and and they are responsible for tracking that and kind of adding it up as they make those appliance selections, and as they pick out their decorative light fixtures and cabinets and you know things like that. Different contractors do it different ways, so if you're going into this, you need to ask your contractor how are you working appliances and fixtures. Plumbing fixtures is another part of that too.
0: It's really interesting, Uh, uh, like you said, somebody might go into the process saying, "I'm okay with my 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 refrigerator that I already have. It's only ten years old. It still looks good. We love it." And then they go to that uh, that showroom and they (laughs) they they see they see all the features, but also just the way it looks, and they're like, "Man, I don't want to spend." $60,000 $60,000 in this kitchen and put this old clunker back in there. And so boom, boom, there's, a, there's another three, $5, ten thousand $10,000 just like that.
1: It's that, it's that same mentality of we're spending all this money to get it just the way we want. So why are we trying to work in some of these older fixtures?
2: Yeah. I'm I don't have any st-
1: bath remodels I've done where they insisted on keeping the tub. And I said, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Please don't do it. You're going to have me tear it out. After it's all been newly tiled around, and sure enough, 99 times out of 100, they end up taking those things out. We we know that that's going to happen just because we've seen the psychology of projects unfold. People feel like they're doing the right thing and being conservative by keeping some things. But if they are big visible surfaces like a tub or the tub tile, it's, it's going to go.
0: Like going to buy a new car. I'm going to buy the the base model or the, or the mid-level. And then you're like, ah, oh, if I'm spending $40,000, I really want a sunroof. You know, well, the sunroof is only available in the, in the higher tier package. Yeah. Well, okay, if I'm going to do this. I want a sunroof. So let's, let's go for it. That's
1: exactly right. So completing a thought on those three different, the storytelling about the three different types of kitchens you can do. Um, once I've explained those three brackets, I'll say, so which of those does your project fall in in your mind? If they go, well, I want the third one, but I want to pay for the first one, then I have to stop them right there and say, it's just not going to happen. And you get what you pay for in remodeling, even more so than many things in life. So if you really hire a cheap contractor, it, it always ends up badly because you fire him or her, and then you got to go hire somebody else to undo and redo and clean up. And ultimately, it ends up more expensive. Every time than it would have if you just hired a responsible pro, we might talk about how you find a good contractor in Houston too.
0: That's 100% true. Changing gears a little bit, what, and this may be obvious, but uh, what makes a kitchen remodel one of the highest per square foot projects that you can do? You
1: know, assuming it's a gut kitchen, which is the most yeah. common, it's because there's so many moving parts in a small space. And this not only affects the materials list, but it also affects uh, the project management because in a kitchen, you can't, as the general contractor, the remodeler, I can't have four trades working there at once. Same with bathrooms. you just They'll be stepping all over each other. Yep. So the project timeline is stretched out because you have to let tra- the electrician do his rough in work before the plumber can come and do their thing, before the. Sheetrock people can come it's a very linear process, and a lot of a lot of those trades are coming and going, plus you're stopping for uh, inspections if it's a permitted job so there are a lot of things that make it take longer than you than you think, but there are also some surprises for homeowners in terms of the larger component costs uh, People are I think most shocked when they go cabinet shopping um, and we We try to find out early what they're looking for in the way of cabinets by sending them to House.com or Pinterest and having them start saving pictures to an idea book and saying what they liked about that picture. So let's say it's a picture of the sink side of a kitchen and they've sent me three pictures of that and the cabinets are all a dark stained cabinet with a, a white, lightly veined quartz countertop. I know that's in their head that's kind of what they like which could be totally different than the next house I go to where the homeowner wants everything to be white cabinets with gray countertops and, and 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 they may like particular features they may like the the French door oven uh look so there may be individual appliances that that they have things that they like about so we try to extract from the from the homeowner what looks they like what do they ultimately um want this to be like That will be the most enjoyable for them every time they walk in there, which is multiple times a day.
0: I like what you said about um, figuring out what they like in that picture, because they may not like everything they see. There may be one thing that they're keying in on in that picture. So it's also like pulling out of their head. okay, what about this do you like? Is it is it the style of the door? Is it the stain color? Is it the countertop? type? What that picture has got? 20 things going on, and which which of these things do you like in this picture? You
1: know, I help my clients get on house.com and then you can open a free account there. We train them what to do when you get on there. So you can search for the component parts like cabinets or a certain color of countertop. But when you find something you like, you can click add to my idea book, and you can have unlimited idea books. So it could be Susan's kitchen idea book, John's master bath idea book and you, you throw pictures in there. But as you do that, there's a dialogue box where you can and should put in what it is that caught your eye, what you liked, and what you don't like. So it could be, love those cabinets and countertops, hate that backsplash. That's all super good information for us. Eventually, we're going to be drawing 3D drawings with renderings showing what they do like so we can put in the things that the common themes that they communicated to us. So, you know, Back in the old days, people would cut photos out of magazines, right? And we would come to their kitchen table to meet and they would open up their folder and we would go through photographs of, I like this and I like that. Um, Now it's much more easily and quickly done with platforms like Howes and Pinterest.
0: I think that also leads often to adding costs too, because people see things on on Howes, Pinterest, just on the internet, Instagram, whatever. They see these things that look fantastic and they want that. Whereas maybe, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you didn't have the access to all this different stuff that you could see at your fingertips. There's
1: so much I mean, and it's overwhelming. For and and so now people
0: see like some really exotic things on, on house or any of these platforms and they come to us, they're like, we want to integrate that feature. I'm like, okay, well, your budget was <laughs> was 60 or 80 or a hundred. That one feature involves these multiple trades. Uh, that's an expensive material. That's a difficult install. So that one feature that you are in love with, man, that's a $10,000 addition to this project. That's pretty
1: much what you have to say. You have to say, we can do that. All things are possible in construction, but it's going to add $30,000 to your budget. Is it worth it for you to change the project in that way um, to, and pay that much? If it is, that's fine. We will build it for you. It's with, just money. That's what we do. And you're going to be living <laughs> it with it for many, many years.
0: So what um, what are some uh, some hidden costs that people don't think about when they go into it? Let's kind of stay on the topic of a, a full gut type remodel. You know, what are some hidden costs that that you've come across over the years remodeling older homes? You know, this this part of town that you that you and I work in a lot is you know nineteen forties through sixties original construction mostly, right? Yeah. Um, so what are some of those hidden dangers that we come across that, uh, that can drive that cost up?
1: There are more, um, unexpected adventures in, in the older homes. So homes that were built in the thirties and forties, you know, the walls are, are solid wood called shiplap. They're very different. They may not have any insulation. Um, but other, other things that we run into are, um, rotten subfloor under the dishwasher or sink where there was a sort of a chronic leak that went on for a really long time or even in the wall behind the sink there'll be a drain that has been leaking for years and it was inside the wall so they didn't smell it yep and didn't really catch it Um, occasionally that'll drive some termite damage inside the walls that wasn't evident on the, the outside surfaces you know on the walls and ceiling you know i think all all remodelers have gotten developed a keen eye all experienced remodelers for signs that there's termite damage in the cosmetics. So this is a certain size hole or set of holes that I can see in sheetrock on a wall, usually up near the ceiling or on the ceiling itself. It's about the size of a ballpoint pen tip. You could stuck it in there, but it's a hole where the, in sheetrock where the termites, um, they ate through the paint and the sheetrock paper behind it, and they stick their little heads out, and they're like looking around going, nope, let's go back the other way. Um, and then they eat start eating the paper and under the under the paint and so on from there. So termites is one that's super scary for homeowners, but you know what? Most of the time the damage isn't extensive. And the way that we have to cope with it is to remove drywall and test the lumber, the integrity of the lumber with a screwdriver or an awl to see where the bad stuff stops and where the uh the good framing, you know, starts. And you just tear out until you get to to good wood, basically.
2: We've
0: rarely come across termite damage that wasn't so bad that it it didn't cost maybe a couple thousand dollars, maybe to to take care of that. Because usually it's localized. It's rarely an entire wall. It's usually a couple studs, maybe the header. I would
1: agree with that. It's usually localized near the water source yes whatever that
0: was or maybe there's something right outside the house that's also a water source right outside sprinkler heads soil built up sprinkler heads whatever that's kind of keeping that that part of the house saturated
1: yep i'm trying to think of what else sometimes we will open up walls and the in a kitchen and the exterior wall the insulation inside which is it's there was r11 which is wimpy From the original construction but that's what they used back
0: then and some of these are none
1: yes sometimes it's there's nothing in there at all which is amazing and it's often a a west facing wall where you see that you know people are wondering why they've been so hot in those kitchens during the summer but uh yeah removing old bad insulation and putting in new that's an r13 or i've done some where we foamed the wall because it was just such a direct western exposure and it was such an issue for the client that we took extra measures to, to, in, to extra insulate, if you will, that outside wall to make the living space more comfortable. And it worked. And it worked. So those are a few examples off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, we, we've come across some, some electrical issues that have been more, extens, more extensive than we anticipated. And oftentimes that's from a previous remodel. If the house was built in the 50s, maybe it was remodeled in the 70s or 80s and maybe maybe in that last remodel they just shoved a bunch of problems up inside the ceiling yes. that no one knew about and of course that's not something that we can anticipate. Uh, there's certain things that we see all the time that we kind of know we're going to find when we open a wall and we can plan for that but if that house was remodeled 30 years ago and somebody shoved a bunch of sketchy stuff up on the ceiling we'll never see that because it's covered by insulation or it's a kinda, yeah. in an inaccessible area. It's
1: truly hidden. Well, I mean the overall the overarching concern for homeowners is oh my gosh, what are the chances of me finding something really bad that's going to drive the cost of the project up unexpectedly, something we have to fix? And the answer really, from experience, is it doesn't happen all that often. No. It really doesn't. The little rotted wood in the shower when you take out a shower is, is common, but you don't really see tons of that. And in our contracts, this is different than new construction contracts. We have to have some language in there. I call it the I'm not Superman clause. That says um, we may find some hidden problems once we take off the sheet, the sheetrock and take out the insulation, we can see what's what the insides of walls and ceilings look like. And the, some of those things may require remediation and repair. Those are not included in the estimate because they may not be there. You don't want me to add a bunch of contingency dollars to the bid for something that we may never find. It makes more sense to Kind of give people an idea of what those categories could be, which we do in our contract, and then if we find some of that, we stop work. We tell them it's this is the problem; it's not safe the electrical that's there. So it's going to cost you know fifteen hundred dollars to rewire this area, and and that is put in a change order, documented in writing. It's called a change order of necessity. In fact, when you have something like that that has to be done midstream, right? Yep. So you so they sign off on the cost and the extra work but they knew going in that there may be some of those things. And most people know that about remodeling.
0: I think if you're in in the kind of the full gut scenario versus the cosmetic, most good remodelers are just going to know that, hey, we're going to be doing this regardless. So even if we find something, it's not the end of the world. And I think electrical is a great example. They're like, "What what if we find all this stuff behind the wall? And I say, well, we're already planning on replacing all the wiring in that kitchen regardless. So if we find it, who cares?
1: And even if it is something extra, they're calmer once you tell them you know what the electrician's going to be on your job doing significant work anyway the guy's going to be there anyway so adding this work is not going to add a lot of cost or time
0: he he might charge you you know extra 300 bucks versus you call that guy out for a service call just to do that thing it might be $3000 but he's there it's open 300 bucks it's done and
1: same with plumbing so I didn't mention plumbing hidden problems but I work a lot in the uh, in the Late fifties, early sixties era homes with the galvanized pipes, and we see we do do open up and see pinhole leaks that are about to you know to start spraying. So there is uh, a lot of repiping that can happen if if digging into it exposes the fact that there is um, sort of a whole house throughout the house problem with the pipes, and it's much cheaper to put in. A Peck set of PECS or CPVC pipes now and replace that galvanized than it is to have your house flood. Usually when you're on vacation and not home, <laughs> uh, and it destroys all kinds of things in the house and turns into a big insurance claim mess. So that's always a great preventative project to do, and we often add that to our remodels because of that because we're solving a future problem and if they don't they can sleep it well at night.
0: Yeah, I mean I'd say three fourths of the remodel projects that we do, we are. We, we're just repiping the whole house. Right. Cause again, a, a good, a good percentage of your plumbing is coming through that kitchen area, regardless, you know, all the, all the kitchen plumbing, but, but usually the laundry room plumbing is also kind of passing through that area or, yeah. or, or also doing the laundry room. And so at that point you're talking about a few bathroom fixtures that you're, that you're doing on top of it. So it's, it's not usually a huge additional cost. And again, the guy's already there. He's working, he's got his PEX tools way less expensive and to you're do it have now.
1: drywall guys to fix holes that might need to be cut too during the project
0: yeah and, you know, but if we're not replacing all all of the uh the galvanized plumbing sometimes you have to go back farther and farther down the line than you want to to be able to connect that pect to it sometimes that galvanized this is so bad that you can't just cut it and splice onto it right there you got to go until you get kind of get to good pipe yes before you can do that same thing with underground plumbing especially uh you can't always just connect your new pvc right there to that old cast iron um that cast iron may be so bad that you have to go back another 10 20 30 feet to get to good pipe to connect to
1: yeah sometimes that means jackhammering some slab up to get to the drain lines yeah. that are under there
0: or tunneling which is, is, is oft, often more expensive, right? Talking about, you know, uh, estimates that people might get for their kitchens, um, you know, you know there's, there's still a lot of companies out there. I don't think you're one. I'm not one that does uh, free estimates for kitchens. What are your thoughts on free estimates? But then after that, let's talk about if, some, if somebody does get free, free estimates, they don't go through that process of uh, design pre-construction. What are they really getting in, in a free estimate?
1: Yeah, we all bump into this and have for years and years and years. We spend some time talking to our clients, even on the first phone call, but certainly in the first meeting in their home about how to pre-qualify contractors and that I'm checking you out and you're checking me out at the same time. Uh, The people that provide free estimates are not going to spend nearly as much time developing those estimates. They're not going to talk to you about all the different ideas that a good contractor brings to the table to brainstorm about and discuss. And they're not going to go talk to their trades, talk to the plumber to see what the plumbing might be for this kitchen. It's all ballpark, ballpark, ballpark. Wing it, wing it, wing it based on past experience. And what happens is they often will write maybe purposefully an abbreviated scope of work. So they leave things out or put in very low allowances for things like cabinets and countertops. That's the amount that's included in the estimate. That's what an allowance is for cabinets say. And then once they start work and they've got your kitchen torn out and they get to these stages of construction, they'll go, well, that isn't in my estimate. Go, look, I didn't have anything in there. I only had $2,000 for the granite countertops and you went, oh, you went to $5,500, so you owe me all this extra money. So they, uh, contractors who do pre estimates are much more likely to jack the price up later because they haven't spent as much time and care creating the estimate with details. So the missing details will end up costing you, the homeowner, more uh, as you go through the process. And it always ends up being more expensive than what my bid was originally if they paid for my estimate and what I would have built the project for because there's a game being played there with money. And it's very frustrating for homeowners to have to um, have the cost of the project creep up so fast. Uh, so there's a lot of bad things that flow from someone who's going to give you uh, a quickie estimate. It's, you know, I tell people it's basically worth what you paid for it because it's going to cause you headaches down the road. There's a very high percentage chance that you're going to have cost overruns and maybe work quality issues as well.
0: I'm not saying that all the people that give free estimates are bad contractors or bad people. There are there are some good companies out there that will still do that. There are. But I would say the majority are often trying to rush people into a contract so that they can then make, start making those adjustments. I've seen that quite often. I'm sure you have, too. Yes. Where it's, let's just get it on paper, get your signature, then we'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like Nancy Pelosi and the, uh, the health care bill. <laughs> then you'll re- read it later.
0: No, exactly. Like... <laughs> is there a product or is there a feature or is there an additional scope of work? that uh, people often don't think about that they should include in their project does that make sense a
1: kitchen project yeah oh gosh um
0: tough question i know
1: well i think i think um the more uh, research the customer does ahead of time the better for the homeowner and the contractor so for example um appliances just take refrigerators alone there's such a wide variety of price points and features in that, that unless you know what's out there, you're not going to be, when you're going in, if you don't know anything about that, you're going to be just wide-eyed and ignorant about, you know, what those choices are, and it causes stress and dissonance along the way. So I think being up on uh, some of the innovative materials on sink construction, you know, it's not just stainless and white porcelain anymore. There's all kinds of stone sinks and copper sinks and composites of every shape and kind. Um. So the more research people have done on the components, the better. So I, I ask my homeowners to sit down and make a list of the things they want to change in the kitchen, just off the top of your head. I want a countertops? I want new cabinets. I want a tile backsplash. I want new appliances. So they at least they maybe have a five or ten item list then start Googling some of that, or look on Houzz or Pinterest, and see what what your choices are out there. You can also get some information about what things cost, which people are very, very interested in, Uh, going in some ballpark information with the Remodeling Magazine's Cost Versus Value Survey. I mean, if you have no idea at all, at least that covers uh, like 22 different projects what they typically cost in different markets, including Houston and Dallas. And if you want to feel good about Texas, go look at San Francisco's prices oh, yeah. or New York's prices. Um, but you can see project, you know, a, a, a basic kitchen, the mid range kitchen, and then, a you know, a fancy, fancy kitchen. Uh, you can see what those ranges are. And so it takes the distrust factor of, you know, with well, contractors in front of me trying to sell me this and telling me it's going to be a hundred thousand dollar kitchen. Whereas, when you look at some independent study like the cost versus value to two thousand twenty three will be coming out soon, you can Google that to find that. um you can see kind of what those projects cost what What do you get for a hundred and twenty thousand dollar kitchen in Houston? Well, it tells you exactly what you can get.
0: People are often operating with old data in their head. they're like oh my my friend remodeled her kitchen." 10 years ago for $40,000. And so that's what what I should spend. Or my parents told me that it should cost $20,000 to do this project. And uh, Mom and dad are often shocked to learn what things cost today versus when they did it back in the 80s. That's (laughs)
1: true. The the older our clients are, the older our homeowners are, the more likely they are to have an unrealistic expectation about what things cost now. And then you add the complicating factors of uh, all the COVID effects, the supply chain Uh, problems and the unavailability of projects or things being delayed chronologically in a huge way because it takes 12 months to get refrigerator. Those problems are very much in your face as the contractor and homeowner in a remodel. New home, maybe the house can sit there for a few extra months and nobody's living there, so it's not that big a deal. But if you're living in your house while you're doing your kitchen, which you usually are, and you can't get a working kitchen back going for months because cabinets are delayed and windows are delayed and appliances are delayed it hurts i mean you will want your kitchen back as quickly as possible so that's yeah. that, so all of those things also make the, the costs went up on all of the component parts too
0: and right now with the supply chain stuff i mean we we have a couple projects unfortunately that we're done with them but they don't have a stove and we ordered these things a long time ago and some of these manufacturers they gave us a lead time and that's out the window and we're still sitting there there with no stove or sometimes we have like a, an old stove just kind of temporarily stuck in the hole for right now. So they have something to cook on.
1: Yes. Have some kind of function.
0: So last thing, um, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, that the aging in place uh, portion of, of, of what you do. And I do a lot of that too. What are some uh, kind of easy universal design aging in place items that people uh, can add to a kitchen project that they may not think about? You know, what are, what are, some, uh, what are some things that are kind of essential to that, uni- that universal design that you can incorporate into any kitchen remodel?
1: Well, well, the first one, there are several, but the first one that comes to mind is cabinets, how you do your cabinets, especially your base cabinets. So let's say, you know, you're, you and your wife are not having any health issues. You see your parents having issues in their house and maybe you're a younger boomer. Uh, You know, what can you put in your house to make it easier for when you get older and maybe do have some some of those mobility issues and things? Uh, one specific example is to eliminate cabinet doors on the base cabinets and put in full extension drawers, 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 drawers. They can be deep for pots, Um, have a variety of sizes, but the reason that's such a great idea for any house, any time, and it's true for bathrooms too, any cabinetry, is that a drawer can be opened all the way out and you can see what's in the back. You're not getting on your hands and knees and digging for that Tupperware lid that fell down in the back in 1985 <laughs> that you haven't seen for a long time. Uh, that's just hard on your back and nobody likes that young or old. So full extension drawers allow full vis- visibility. Um, they're within easy reach of a standing or seated user. So they're you know, functional in that way, they're easy to approach and use and so we put uh even where, where we have to have a cabinet doors like under the sink for example we'll have a pull out tray at the bottom underneath the plumbing where you put all your cleaning stuff and your dishwasher soap it makes such a difference to be able to pull that out and see stuff and get to stuff than it does if it's just you're just putting them on the floor of of that sink cabinet um other cool ideas um putting in a pot filler so that you have the source of water. Uh, not only where you fill pots and pans, but we've ac- actually built them into niches in the breakfast room for the and there's a dog watering station, and oh. you just fill the two bowls of water if you have two dogs. Um, with the pot filler, you know, at that location, kind of a little u- universal design for dogs, I guess. Uh, lever handles, you know, on your faucets make all that stuff easy yeah. easy to use. So, uh, cabinet hardware that doesn't require pinching, grasping, or pinching things. Like cup pulls where you put your fingers up up from underneath and pull are are very functional so and there's a ton of features within corner cabinets and things too that make life easier.
0: I think lighting is such a big thing with aging in place too we we mentioned that earlier as being a a very important aspect of kitchen design, but especially as you're getting older uh having well lit work surfaces and just general you know, so, so there's kind of two two types of lighting there's kind of the general. Overhead lighting, the room lighting, and then there's the task lighting. I think often that task lighting gets overlooked. LED tape has cha- has really, in, in my opinion, changed how we do task lighting yeah. and it's opened up a, a world of possibilities for where you can light things and how you can light things because that LED tape, you can put it anywhere.
1: Yeah you could put it behind glass fronts to light the contents of cabinets that have a glass front door on them. You, you can provide a uh, smooth and seamless flow of light onto your countertops uh, because the tape has lots of bulbs and it lights more evenly than the individual leds that are halogens if you go back far enough that we put into people's kitchens for years so uh, you need 60 percent more lighting when you're 65 than you did when you were 18. so it's not just food prep, but it's also you may see it if you have a poorly lit kitchen you can't read recipe books very well that the, the
0: labels on a,
2: on, labels a on a
1: medicine bottle or whatever or a package or yeah cooking instructions <laughs> so that you're absolutely right. lighting is an, a very important part of universal design and I, I would take that a step further and say if you if you can like if it's a one-story rancher house and you can put a tubular skylight that floods that room with natural light that is a makes a huge difference and you don't use turn on the uh, the lights as much you don't use as much energy. But that kind of light makes you feel good when you walk into that space. And everybody loves that. When we put those in, everybody loves them. I have them in my showroom, my house, and my clients really like those. And they're much less expensive to put in than your traditional glass window type skylights.
0: Yeah, we, we've done a lot of those over the last few years. Um, one last comment on the cabinets that you, that you mentioned, uh, drawers versus doors. You know, one of, the, one of the reasons behind that is also if you have somebody who's mobility impaired, they're in a a wheelchair or a walker. When you go up to a cabinet and you open a cabinet door, you have to back up to open that cabinet door. And then you also have to be able to get up into the cabinet to get what you're trying to reach. And so there's kind of two movements that you have to do to accomplish that task. And if you have a drawer, it's just one movement.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, under sink access in kitchens and bathrooms, if you have someone who is a wheelchair user or might be, um requires making an easily converted space for them to roll under and have a roll under sink. Yes, And a roll under cooktop actually can be good too. Yeah. So we've accomplished that by putting in those entertainment center kind of doors that slide out to the side and then go back in. Yep. And then the floor is just open under there. Or if it's not needed for a while, we'll put in a real cabinet front with the bottom on it and it's removable. The whole thing can be just dragged out and put in the garage. So you have a fully accessible sink area when you need it but if you wanted to put it back in because you were having a party or having people over or something you can restore that cabinet front and it just looks like part of the kitchen cabinets that are have always been there
0: we've been getting more and more of those uh those aging in place uh, accessible accessible bathroom type calls lately that the access to bathroom vanities is is always a big thing but trying to retrofit and we're kind of moving the bathrooms briefly here but uh Trying to retrofit a 1950s bathroom is often difficult, uh, at least in this part of Houston, this, this era of house, because those bathrooms were typically five by eight, five by 10. and yes. they, they just don't have the, the turning radiuses that you need. They don't have the clearances around the commodes that you have to have. So now we're looking at um, what adjacent space can we take in? Can we take in that closet that's next to it? Can we rob some space from the other bathroom behind it? take some space from the bedroom in front of it and and create those uh those clearances that we need
1: yeah we do that we run into that all the time that is what you do you try to take in some adjoining closet space if you can or even bump into the bedroom a little bit and you can also if you have a water closet like a separate toilet room we'll often just take those walls out that where the doorway goes from the bathroom into that toilet space we just eliminate those walls so it's kind of a more open plan and people can maneuver more easily in there. But you're right. If you don't have 60 inches, which is a five-foot circle for a turning radius for a wheelchair, you're just going to have to do the best you can with the space that you have.
0: And sometimes that is the answer. Hey, We can't get the, the five feet, but we can, we can improve, improve your quality of life in this space a lot by getting you as close to that as we can, even if we can't get that full that full dimension
1: and then you would have to mention the building the larger curbless showers as a must-do for universal design or aging in place too
0: well those are so popular now that people are doing those in absolutely tons of houses regardless it's the
1: default now
0: yeah yeah
1: tub and put put in the roll-in or walk-in shower
0: i would say almost every new construction that we do now the primary suite has a a roll-in shower a, a curbless shower rather And most of our remodels were going to that, which, you know, that that's the domino that drops cost wise, because now you're saw cutting the foundation, dropping it, pouring a new foundation. So that's
1: a a little more involved than people realize. Yeah, I get I get calls that let's say you've got a a bathroom with a corner shower. And people say, you know, I just just cut out the curb, just like take a saw and cut through (laughs) the tile. But they don't realize that it's there's a lot more involved. You have to change the shower pan and remove a lot more tile than you thought. And then the entrance width left to right is usually like 24 inches. That's not wide enough. So you end up doing a complete redo or not doing it at all.
0: I mean, it's worth considering this stuff in, in every project, regardless of your current needs. And I think every house should have at least one bathroom that has accessibility features because y- you just never know. And you might have a family member or a guest or somebody that needs that. And it's all always... you
1: might break your leg in a car wreck. I mean, it could be you or any any member of the family, regardless of age. You just never yeah. know what
0: life holds. I mean, it's like it's like having a will in place. You know, you, you should go ahead and plan plan for those those events now. Right. It makes sense to do it. <laughs> well, I think that's a great comment to bring us full circle on, <laughs> on the discussion. So uh, I really appreciate you coming today. Sure. Thank well, thanks you. for being with me. And uh, we are going to be sure and link your contact information, your website, all that kind of stuff oh, in our show notes and our YouTube links. Um, and also, we're going to be sure and link that cost plus or cost versus value,
2: mm-hmm. cost, yes.
0: Versus yes. value. cost versus value report from the um, from, from remodeling magazine. Um, we'll be Good. sure to link that as well. That's a great resource that I've used uh, as well, although I couldn't remember the name of it. <laughs>
1: and it's not high enough now post pandemic, but it still gives people. An independent idea yeah good thank you for doing that
0: well thanks a lot and thank you all for joining us today on this episode of the your project shepherd podcast um and as we've talked about today uh, it's it's clear that I, i i think it's clear those those four components that we always mention of of that house diagram that we'll put on the screen uh the foundation is your proper planning the left wall is your team The right wall is communication and the roof protecting all of that is proper execution. If you have all those four components, your project is going to succeed. Be sure and join us next time here on the podcast and take care.